Hey, well, welcome. I am so glad that you have joined us this Sunday after Christmas. If we haven't met yet, my name is Jeff Pruitt, and apparently I was in the video right before this giving answers, which I don't remember anymore, so hopefully they were close. Uh, But I am really excited to get to share with you more today about the Holy Spirit. And I know I really can't wait till we are together again in person, getting to share, uh, getting to be together. Um, And yet I am also so thankful that we can gather like this and be encouraged through God's word. And I hope that this will be an encouragement to you today. You know, when we're all together, we usually stand and then we'll read our primary passage together. And if you would like to do that, go ahead and stand and I will read our main passage. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 starts, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Let's pray together and and ask the Spirit to guide our thoughts and our minds as we dive into God's Word in this passage. Lord, I just thank you so much for the gift of your Word. Thank you for the chance to gather this way and speak truth to one another. I just invite you, really, to speak to us today through your Spirit I pray that you would be the one who teaches us. I pray that you would soften our hearts and and bring clarity to our minds so that we can absorb and apply the truth in your word today. I pray that you would just shine really brightly on what you want us to take away and let everything else um, just fade so that we can learn and grow the way you want us to. Thank you so much for your word and for your spirit who teaches us and guides us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are almost to the end of our series called The Third Wheel, where we've been learning about the Holy Spirit and how we relate to Him. And over the past several weeks, Aaron has just done a great job uh, showing us who the Spirit is and who He is not, what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit accomplishes his mission. And then for the final two messages in this series, my dad and I are going to team up and we're going to look at our personal interaction with the Spirit or what is often called our walk in the Spirit. And our goal is to understand practically why and how we walk in the Spirit and to give you some tools that you can use right away in your own life. So this week we're going to focus on why the Bible calls us to walk in the Spirit. And what we're going to cover today has actually just deeply impacted my own spiritual growth. And so I really hope that this will help you also to understand the motivation behind walking in the Spirit. And then next week, in part two, my dad is going to help us understand uh, some ways how we can walk in the Spirit in our day-to-day life and give us some practical tools that we can apply right away so that we can grow in our walks and continue to mature as we walk with God in this way. So that's the plan for the next two weeks. I hope you're ready. (laughs) So here we go. Um, You might be asking yourself, what do we even mean when we say walk in the Spirit? Uh, When the Bible talks about walking in the Spirit, it isn't talking about 
physically walking and like waiting for God to tell you where to put your next footprint. Um, It's actually one of several metaphors for practical daily living. And it might help to think of it instead as kind of the new normal for the daily life of someone who is a believer. Uh, In Galatians chapter 5, which we started in, the Apostle Paul actually uses a few metaphors to paint this picture for us. Let's look at Galatians 5.16 again. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then in verse 18, Paul uses, if you are led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so Paul is saying walking, living, keeping in step, and being led are all pictures for us to understand what our day-to-day life will look like. What it'll look like when we go about it in step with and under the control of and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, in his book, The Finished Work of Christ, says that this call affects our whole life. He says, there is a deep calling here to our whole person, to the will, to the mind, to the emotions. As moral, rational beings, beings who think and act and feel we are to experience the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our thoughts, in our actions, and in our emotions. So when we say walk in the Spirit, in the biblical sense, we're talking about how we conduct every aspect of our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, and our emotions. It might even help you to think about walking like being part of a marching band in a parade, where we keep every aspect of our lives lined up. Lined up, in this case, to where our leader, the Holy Spirit, is guiding us. And that's kind of what we mean when we talk about a walk in the Spirit. We definitely have a role to play, and we can fall out of rhythm, but it's best for us when we keep in step with the Spirit and walk with Him. It's easy for me to say, hey, this is the best way, Um, But don't just take my word for it. I really want you to walk away fully convinced that the Bible declares that there is no better way to live our practical daily lives than walking in the Spirit. And so let's look at two big reasons together uh, why this is so important. The first is because we can't live the Christian life on our own. You might ask, you know, can't we do some good things? And sure, Right? Every human is created to reflect and display the image of God. And even those who don't trust in Jesus are created this way. There are nice, respectable people out there. There are non-Christian marriages that are loving and that raise respectful families. There are lots of examples, even, of people doing good who don't follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that we can't do anything good What I am saying is there is no way to fully live the Christian life on our own. And why not? Well, because the Christian life isn't just about doing good things and not doing bad things. Listen to how Paul talked about this with the Galatians in chapter 3, just a couple chapters earlier. Starting in verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you catch Paul's anger in those words? He asks twice, are you so foolish? He's just furious with them. He had shared the gospel with them, the grace of God, and and they had believed in Jesus and received the Spirit. But then, after starting in faith by trusting Jesus, they decided they were going to try to be perfected by the flesh. And in this case, be perfected is really talking about growing to maturity. And by the flesh is talking about depending on their own abilities and their own effort. The Galatians were trying to grow to maturity by their own efforts. And they didn't just give it the college try. Like they dedicated themselves to trying the best they could to live the Christian life. They were super committed. And yet Paul scolds them for it. Paul lit them up because he knew they could not fully live the Christian life on their own, no matter how committed they were. And so that's why you see this intensity. I actually learned this lesson kind of the hard way uh, early in my marriage. My wife and I had been married a few years, and kind of after the honeymoon phase, we were in the thick of real life. And I remember I was really trying to overcome some of the the baggage and the sin that I had brought into our relationship that, that really was keep uh, continuing to pull me down and it was really creating problems for Kristen and I. It was rough. And just as a side note, if you want to become more aware of where you fall short and how much you need God, go ahead and get married. It, you will see. It is amazing. But at the same time, God uses marriage to refine us, and I highly recommend it. So what did I do when things were such a mess? Um, I leaned in. I tried to do all the things that I thought a good Christian should do. I jumped into two different Bible studies. I was trying to read my Bible regularly, serving in the church. I was reaching out to people outside the church to try to spread the gospel. I mean, I was so busy doing so many good things that you would think Maybe I didn't even have time to sin, but guess what? I just kept falling in to the same junk no matter how busy I was doing good things. And I was just doing the best that I could do to try to push these sins down and crowd them out, and it wasn't working. We kept fighting and growing more frustrated, and I just wasn't getting any victory over my sin. I was trying to do my best, but my best wasn't working and we both felt really defeated. And I would bet that most of us have been stuck in a cycle like that um, probably more than a few times in our own lives. As hard as we try to live the way we think God wants, our best just isn't good enough. And so why not? Why isn't our best good enough? Scripture actually gives us some really clear reasons. And the first reason is we cannot bear God's fruit without God's power. See, I had the definition of the Christian life kind of buttoned up in the fruits of the Spirit. I knew that the list of the fruits of the Spirit was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. You've probably heard that list. And 
I was trying really hard to produce them, but it wasn't working. And the passage we're about to look at will show you what I got wrong. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you aren't already there, to Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to have you write in your Bible. So you can even just pause this video if you need to go find it, but I want you to have it. All right, you got your Bible? Good. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, we're going to read, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And then the passage actually rattles off this long list of nasty sins, which the flesh both desires and produces. First, there's a bunch of sexual sins. Then there are sins that corrupt our true worship of God. Then there's a group of sins that destroys our relationships with other people. And finally, it ends with self-serving sins, which actually destroy us. I'll let you read through that list later on your own. Let's jump down to verse 22. Here we find the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, are you ready to write in your Bible? Find verse 19, and and, in the English Standard Version, the ESV, which we typically read out of, um, it says, works of the flesh. But some other versions might say, acts of the flesh, or deeds of the flesh, or even results of the flesh. And so just underline or circle whatever that action word is in the translation that you have. And then if you go down to verse 22, most versions say the fruit of the Spirit. And so go ahead and circle or underline that phrase. And maybe you can predict kind of where I am going. Um, what's, what's different about these two phrases that we just marked? Do you see who is doing the work in each statement? Let's look at this. The, the works of the flesh describes what we can produce in our own strength, our own commitment, and our own effort. And what do we produce? We produce that long, nasty list of sins that damages our relationships, corrupts our worship, and even eventually becomes self-destructive. This is what we will produce on our own. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. In fact, if you caught it in verse 17... We shouldn't even be surprised that we find desires within us that want to produce these things because our flesh wants to produce that, la- that list of nasty sins. But now look at the contrast with verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. The word but is here really to call out that contrast. And the results are contrasted, right? The two lists are different. But don't miss this. The method is also being contrasted. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by who? Well, it's not by me. It's produced by the Spirit. It's His fruit. And this is really where I went all wrong early in my marriage. I was trying to produce the fruits of the Spirit to be more kind, to be more patient, to be whatever, as if they were something I should 
be able to produce just as part of growing in my walk with God or doing more for Him. I thought it was up to me to try harder, to be more committed, or be more focused in order to produce these things. But I was really trying to produce the Spirit's fruit for Him, which will never work. And it turns out Jesus taught the disciples about this. He did it way back in John 15 verse 5, so that they, and really so that we, could avoid this mistake. Here's what he said in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at that last part. Apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. How many branches have you seen bear fruit once you cut them off of the fruit tree, right? None of them. You need the tree. You need the root, the vine, to produce that fruit. The branch can't do it by itself. The branch just stays connected or abides and then waits for the fruit to be produced by the life that is in the vine or the root of that tree. And just like a branch, we need to stay connected to abide with the Spirit to see any of His fruit show up. Charles Stanley actually puts it this way. He says, if you do not learn to abide in Christ, you will never have a marriage characterized by love, joy, and peace. You will never have the self-control necessary to consistently overcome temptation, and you'll always be an emotional hostage of your circumstances. Why? Because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. The fruit of the Spirit is supposed to show up in the life of the believer, but we just can't produce God's fruit without His power. We need to walk in the Spirit to stay connected to the vine so that the Holy Spirit can produce the love, the joy, the peace, and more, which we long for. Apart from Christ, apart from the Spirit, we really can do nothing. And that's the first reason why we can't live the Christian life on our own, because we need His power. And it really shouldn't surprise us um, because of the second reason, which is we were never designed to walk on our own. If you go back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, we discover that humans were created for relationship. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God walked with them in the garden. He talked with them and related to them and connected with them. And then tragedy struck. We call this the fall. Adam and Eve sinned by eating fruit from the tree that God had said was off limits. Their choice to disobey God brought a curse on Adam and Eve, and they had to leave the garden. Sin had violated their relationship with God, and it trickled down to every generation that followed Adam and Eve. Humans were created and designed to enjoy this uninterrupted relationship with God, but our sin got in the way. Thankfully, right, that isn't the end of the story, right? That's the beginning of the book. God wasn't about to give up. We get all the way to Romans 5, and Romans 5 tells us in verse 8 that God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God ultimately sent Jesus to die, to die while carrying all of the sins that we had ever committed or ever will commit And he paid for those sins. He absorbed God's wrath and he took our punishment so that our sin against God would be forgiven. 
His payment for our sins cleared the path for us to have a relationship with him again. But we're not in the garden anymore. So how was God going to restore this relationship with him? Let's see, right? So on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus gathered the disciples together and actually explained what would change in John chapter 16, verse 5. He says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus tells the disciples that he's leaving them. But he says leaving them is better than actually staying. It's to their advantage. Because the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and be with them and with everyone who believes from then on forever. The Spirit comes and restores that link so that that unbroken relationship with God that we were designed for is possible again. So the Bible calls us to walk in the Spirit because that's our new connection to God. There's no other way to live the way that we were designed, and trying to live any other way is really just going to fall short. It's going to be compromised or flawed or damaging or even deadly. We wouldn't think about using our body as like a wrecking ball on a crane or as a target in a shooting range because we just weren't designed for those things. It would be a disaster. And we also weren't designed to be able to live our lives apart from our relationship to God through His Spirit. Well, before we look at our next big reason, I want to give you a couple discussion questions on the screen that you can talk about or reflect on. If you're with a group of people, you can pause this and then talk about these and pick right back up. Uh, The two questions are, first, have you ever found yourself begging or bargaining with God for some spiritual change in your life? Or have you ever worked hard in order to please God so that he'd give in to your requests? All right, well, remember that the first answer to why we're called to walk in the Spirit is because we can't fully live the Christian life on our own. We can't produce God's fruit without God's power, and we were never designed to walk on our own. Well, the second big reason is because, the second big reason we, why we walk in the Spirit is because it's the only way for us to find freedom from slavery. Sin didn't just damage our relationship with God, it actually damaged us personally. Our human nature became tainted by sin and cursed so that we could only produce fruit that was tainted. Paul compares our damaged life under these circumstances to being trapped in slavery. And he talks about it in Romans chapter 7, verse 5. He says, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What Paul is saying here is that the old way of living in the flesh was actually holding us captive. We were enslaved. 
But now, now that Jesus has rescued us, Paul says we're free to serve in this new way, in the new way of the Spirit. And what does that remind you of? The new way of life, the walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit brings freedom from slavery in many, many ways. And we're just going to zero in on a couple. The first one is slavery to our desires. One of the things the Spirit frees us from is slavery to our desires. Verse 5, which we read, said that while we're living in the flesh, our sinful passions were at work to bear fruit to death. Our old desires within us are tainted, and they're still tainted. They lead to thoughts that are sinful, which then lead to actions which are sinful, which then leads to damage to ourselves and to those around us. The fruit of the flesh of our old nature is so destructive that it's described as leading to death. Whenever we follow our old desires, it leads to destruction, to damage, and death. Walking in the Spirit is really the only way out of that bondage to our old desires. By daily depending on the Spirit and His leading in our thoughts and our emotions and our actions, we can escape that downward kind of spiral that our old self keeps trying to drag us down into. The Spirit actually gives us new desires, which lead to His fruit being displayed in our lives as He produces it through us. Because of Jesus, we're actually free to choose to follow these new desires, and we're no longer forced to only follow our old desires. We now have this freedom to choose. And this is what it means to live in the new way of the Spirit. We're finally able to find freedom from the desires of our old self. So that's the first reason we can find freedom from slavery. Walking in the Spirit is also the only way to find freedom from slavery to rule-keeping. And that's in verse 6 of what we just read in Romans 7. It says, But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. See, between the time of the garden and Jesus' death, the only way to approach God was through rule-keeping, which culminated in the Old Testament law. We were held captive by it because we could never live up to the standard that it required. It required perfection, and none of us is perfect. That's why we needed Jesus in the first place. It was supposed to point us to our need for a Savior, And so we were enslaved by the law because we deserved what it said was coming for us, for not following the rules. And yet, we could only follow the rules to try to approach God. It was a hopeless path. But when Jesus died, he fulfilled every rule in the law, and he declared the list of rules complete. He took all the punishment and wrath that our failure to keep those rules deserved. And we're no longer required to approach God through rule-keeping and the law. We now approach him through walking in the Spirit. And when we do, we find freedom. Now, it's not freedom to just do whatever we want. It's freedom to do whatever he wants. We're actually free from chasing our own desires that lead to death and destruction (laughs) and instead getting to follow the desires he gives us, the new desires that lead to a life 
that we truly want and need. Rules just no longer enslave us because now we're focused on walking with him and going where he's going. We're we're focused on being with him instead of trying our best to just do or not do something. We're truly free to enjoy that relationship with him that we were always meant for instead of chasing rules just to stay out of trouble. Well, I hope that that's a compelling case uh, for you as to why the Bible calls us to walk in the Spirit. It's really the only path to a healthy walk. It's the only way that God's fruit is going to be produced in our lives. It's how we were designed to relate to God. It's the only path to freedom from our sinful desires. And it's the only path to freedom from rule-keeping. Ultimately, it's the only path to growing in maturity as a follower of Jesus. Every other way of living out our daily lives is going to fall short. But there's one other aspect that I want to end with as a way of just kind of tying this all together. This message is really focused on our personal reasons for walking in the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit is also just about more than your freedom and your fulfillment. It's also very much about others. Walking in the Spirit is part of God's method for accomplishing His mission through us. His mission, we talk about it a lot here at Element, His mission is to draw the world to Jesus as our Savior, and He uses us to do it. And how does that happen? Well, when we walk in the Spirit, and he produces his fruit in us, that fruit attracts non-believers. When love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control are on display in our lives, especially when bad things happen or when people do things wrong against us, the world around us can't help but notice how different that is. God uses when we walk in the Spirit so that he can produce his fruit that will draw other people to us, and then ultimately to him, because we can't take the credit. It's his fruit. And then when we walk in the Spirit collectively as a community of believers, something else awesome happens. As God produces his fruit in each of us, it's kind of like oil in a machine. It makes all the gears run well and and reduces the friction between the parts so that they don't rub and destroy each other. And when we are all collectively walking in the Spirit, we're so much more enjoyable to serve with, to work on mission with, to be friends with, and to share our lives together. When we are all walking in the Spirit and working together like that, it'll cause the world around us to notice. And and they'll say, I want that. They will long for the same trust and authenticity and forgiveness and selfless love that they see God producing in us towards each other. Jesus even said in John 13 that this is exactly how the world would know that we're his disciples, that we're his followers. He says it's by our love for one another. They'll be drawn to us, and once again, we can't take the credit. God's produced the fruit that makes our community so beautiful, so we'll point them to him. And lastly, when we're all walking in the Spirit, we are graciously protected. 
We're protected from many of the destructive consequences of sin. When we're letting God produce his fruit within us, it builds up the people around us instead of tearing them down. And it enables us to grow to maturity instead of being trapped by our sinful desires and mastered by our appetites and our emotions. And it protects the world around us from the damage that our sin could do to them by sinning against them or even by sinning against other believers and tearing them down. So really, every step of the way, walking in the Spirit is better. It's better for us individually. It's better for us as a community of believers. And it's better for the world around us who is always watching. So how? How do we actually do this? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, I'm glad that you asked because that is what we're going to cover next week. You won't want to miss it. (laughs) There's the cliffhanger. Well, I want to pray for you as we continue in, in worship And I want to encourage you to take a minute to celebrate communion if you happen to be with others today. Celebrate with the bread and the cup of wine or juice that represents Jesus' death. And we celebrate this because his death is actually what made it possible for us to enjoy this wonderful life with God forever in unbroken relationship by walking in the Spirit. And that is a great reason to remember what Jesus has done and celebrate it. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you so very much for giving us your spirit, for using him to draw us to you, for using him to guide us to truth, for using him to inspire the scriptures that we have, that we can trust are what you want us to know about you. And I just thank you for um, using him to soften our hearts and, and bring us near to you. I, I pray that you would teach us, each of us, to uh, walk in the Spirit, to, to remain connected, to abide with you as a more regular part of our lives. I just thank you so much for um, giving us this day, giving us this chance to um, dig into your word and be strengthened by it and taught from it. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the amazing grace that it is that you put your own self in us to give us strength, to teach us, to give us new desires, and to lead us so that we can live the way you always intended, the way you designed us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.